0: joining us for our very first episode of the RPO podcast. We are a part of the Inside Hashes Network. We will be discussing anything and everything college football. I'm your host, Patricia Hodge, and with me I have analysts Ray Roberts, Alan Hollowell, and Ryan Roberts. On today's podcast, we will be discussing transfer rules in college football, some 2019 draft prospects, early Heisman favorites, and the draft eligibility process. So, there has been a proposal discussed recently that would allow any college football transfer to be immediately eligible to play. Clemson head coach Dabo Sweeney spoke about the potential change and was quoted to say, What's on the table now is free agency and total chaos. This begs the question what is the best formula for handling potential transfers? Ryan, what are your thoughts about the transfer process?
1: The new rule to allow the transfers to be immediately eligible actually has a lot of validity to it. Right now, these guys are going from team to team, and they have to sit out for a full calendar year until they're eligible. My, my thought process is this. We're teaching we're that these kids are still student athletes. If a student transfers from a school, he's allowed to do it at any point, any time, no repercussions. He's allowed to pick up his schooling from there on in. So why not just be allowed to pick up from right then, okay? Because we, we don't know the backstory to a lot of these transfers. Some of these kids have a background that might be a little clouded. Maybe there's a promise that wasn't kept. Maybe there was something backhanded that necessarily wasn't under their control. So why isn't he afforded the same opportunity as a regular transfer student? Okay, Alan,
0: any thoughts on that? Well, I think I think Ron brings up
2: some good points. Um, you know, back in the day, Really, when you committed to a school, it was about school pride and really wanted that go to that school. Nowadays, the coaches have become the rock star in the face of the campus, so players are really committing to a school to pay depending on the coach. I think there should be a transfer rule allowed if you have a coaching change at your university. So your football coach gets gets fired, maybe maybe signs on with another with another institution. Um, kind of like uh, Jimbo Fisher leaving Florida state going to Texas A&M. I think you should have a free leeway to go to any school if your coach is there. And maybe you're just having a tough time. Your coach is not fired. I think you should have to fulfill your commitment
1: um, or then sit out a year. I actually have a question for you, Alan, as far as, as far as that, would that also be the same for if a position coach or a defensive or offensive coordinator left? Do you think that they should still be afforded that opportunity? That's a good question. Something I haven't uh probably thought about. I would think coordinators, if you fit a
2: certain offense, I would think coordinators would be something to to, to think about um if you let go. Probably not a position coach, because they, they come and go like the wind
3: at a lot of institutions. Well, I think that um I mean, absolutely I agree with you. If there's a coaching change, they absolutely should be able to transfer if they really want to, and really probably shouldn't be suspended at all or, or made to wrench or however you want to put it. But I do think that um unless the guy has like sat on the bench for a year and he's maybe a little disappointed, he's not playing enough, blah, blah, blah. That's the only way I would do it. If you're playing on that team, you need to fulfill your fulfill your commitment. And the worst part about it is Let's say a a kid's a
1: redshirt freshman and he decides, like let's say that there is a coaching change. He's a redshirt freshman. He's like, I need a fresh start. This isn't the right place for me. He transfers. He actually doesn't get a redshirt year. He doesn't get another year of eligibility. So he basically just lost a year of eligibility off of something that, again, wasn't under his control. Right. And you have to feel for those players
2: that that were from Florida that that followed and and went to Oregon with their coach that just left and went back to Florida State. You have to feel for those kids that went across the country to follow a coach, and he's gone after he's gone
1: after a year. Now they're they're stuck across country with no one. Yeah, because like like Alan said, there's so much turnover, not only just with position coaches and even coordinators. Also, you see head coaches they go to a stopgap spot for one or two years, and then they're out of there for the next big job that opens up. So why shouldn't those kids be afforded the opportunity if? Like I said, something backhanded that isn't under their control happens.
2: And, and not to get off subject, I think that's the biggest problem as anything if coaches jump and ship um, from program to program. I think
1: that's that's a huge part of the problem. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you see it. How are these kids supposed to trust anyone? Or how are you supposed to preach trust? Why, how, why is that player going to trust you to do well by him if you if you're leaving the first better opportunity he gets you can't you can't go if i was at the new institution and i was a parent of a of a student athlete that is potentially going into college and that coach goes into my living room and preaches trust and i'm going to be there for your son through every process how could you possibly trust that person at that point point? and they're really they're lateral moves i mean you're going from one
2: division one you know bowl championship team to another it's a lateral move it's just about pay for prestige. and uh i think that's something they've got to fix and also you know coaches leaving programs where they've committed a lot of
1: ncaa penalties and then and they jump to another one yeah so they basically run that school into the ground and then just leave for the next one so yeah playing kiffin rule yeah really
3: yeah
0: <laughs> okay guys let's switch gears for a minute and talk some 2019 nfl draft in our draft preview section today we will be discussing the potential quarterback class ryan let me hear a few early front runners that you have in mind for the top quarterback in 2019 nfl draft
1: um so i like i'm, I'm just gonna give a couple guys i'm not gonna you know make the list as long as you possibly could because there's a. The thing with this quarterback class is right now it's so wide open. There's a bunch of potential, but not much of it is proven potential. So I'm gonna throw out I like Drew Locke from Missouri. He's a he's got good size, 6'4, 225 pounds. He's he set the SEC record last year. I think he threw about 43 touchdown passes in the SEC. He's got a great arm, he's got a good feel in the pocket. Right now his accuracy is a little inconsistent, so it's something that he has to clean up. It's more it's weird. Sometimes guys lack consistency as a as as an accurate passer because of their feet their feet are all you know like Lamar Jackson for instance had a narrow base so he couldn't he couldn't um you know whip it out as fast as possible or in rhythm as possible but for him it's actually all upper body he he just relies too much on his hips and doesn't actually bring his arm all the way through which is a little strange but so senior class that's my guy and then I'm just going to do one underclassman that I really like I really like Shea Patterson, who just got transferred to Michigan. It, it pains me to say that. I I'm, I loathe Michigan, uh, but he he did a lot of great things at Ole Miss to show some playmaking ability outside the pocket. He's a little shorter, which might knock him, but I I really love uh, you know, the arm talent that he has. He can throw from different platforms. He's got kind of that, that Aaron Rodgers thing going on. And then I just want to throw in, sorry, one more. I'm going to say that. I actually have an interview next week with a small school kid that I want to throw out there from South Dakota State, Taryn Christian, who was the quarterback who, who threw to the second round pick by the Eagles this year, Dallas Goddard. He uh, he's about 6'2", 220. I like his combination. He's got he's got good feet, good athleticism, and he throws a very catchable ball. Good pocket presence. So that's just a small school sleeper that I am looking on looking at early on in the process.
0: Awesome. I look forward to hearing that. What
2: about you, Alan? Um, I would, uh, you know, I spoke with the Penn State coaches bragging on say, Saquon Barkley a couple months ago, and they said, uh, and all they basically did was brag about the quarterback, which which kind of shocked me, Trace uh, McSorley there from Penn State. He's about the size of Baker Mayfield. He's one, um 212 pounds. But then if you look at his, his resume, he was one of the top completion percentage uh, in the country. He's got a Rose Bowl MVP award, um, who I think will be the number one pick in the draft. I think Justin Herbert from Oregon. Uh, this kid is a stud. He's 6'6", 231 pounds, and he led the nation in completion percentage at just under 70% only through three interceptions. So I think Justin Herbert's a name you will be uh, you will be hearing on draft day next year very early.
1: Yeah, I, I like Herbert a lot, actually, too. Like like Alan said, he's got all the tools, big guy, strong arm. He's a good athlete, has a good presence in the pocket. I just left him off the list for now just because he, he hasn't had a full season to kind of put everything together yet. But if he has the se- if he plays every game his junior year and sh- keeps showing what he's showed in uh, short spurts, I, I totally agree that he's going to be a great quarterback. Uh,
2: another guy maybe I thought of was uh, Justin Stidham from Auburn. Um, here's a guy who was the number one quarterback in the nation when he came out of high school and signed with Baylor, and then transferred to Auburn. Um, but I I, uh, I spoke with one of their coaches on the staff at Auburn that I know personally, um, and he and he told me there's no way he thought that it, uh, thinks that this kid's going to go in the first round next year.
3: Well, I mean, I pretty much just wrote down my top four guys, and I got Ryan Finley, number one from NC State. I mean, they all have. You know, I got Drew Locke quarterback from missouri and i got your guy um justin herbert from oregon and i got um jerry Sitton from um, auburn i mean they all have different types of arm talent some guys are more accurate than the other they all have nfl ready arms though as far as i'm concerned i i would i mean
1: as far as ryan finley from nc state i want to like him so much but i I don't think he has an NFL arm. I think he's going to just be a backup quarterback in the NFL. I mean, I, not that he's going to be bad, or per se, that he'll never have an opportunity to start in the NFL. But I don't think he has an NFL caliber arm at this point. He's an interesting kid. I
2: mean, NC State's put out more people in the draft right now than, than your Florida State or Miami. It's incredible their whole D-line guy draft. So it will be interesting to see how he does this year.
3: I just think that, yeah, he doesn't have an arm like Herbert does, but I think he has the accuracy more than maybe all the other three that I just made, named really. He definitely has accuracy. I just,
1: I just struggle with him maybe um, hitting some of those tight window throws in the NFL.
0: So, college basketball has brought some recent conversation about whether they should change the one-and-done rule for entering the NBA draft. This dialogue has brought some interesting questions. Should there be any changes in the current NFL draft? Right now, college football players are not eligible to enter into the NFL draft until three years later after graduating high school. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, I, I think that as far as the NFL draft process, for the listeners that don't, don't know, Right now, it's you have to be three years out of high school. So not necessarily that you have to play three years; it's that you have to be graduated three years out. So, that being said, I like it personally. Okay i I think that as far as basketball, you can make the transition from the high school level to somewhat of a pro level a lot quicker. We can see that transition happen. We can, we've seen it happen. So. For an NFL physical football game, specifically with linemen and people that live in the trenches more so, they need to. There's development that needs to happen. There's strength conditioning programs in college that are vital to their development. So I actually love the three-year three-year-old because we get to that three years. For most guys, it's like, okay, well, if you're not going to be a top ten pick, a first round pick, why not just go back one more year and get your degree? What's the drawback to it? At least you have your potential for life after football. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you,
2: Ron. It's, it's too much of a, a taxing sport on your body to come out any earlier than three years out of high school. You know, people don't believe us. Just look at a guy like Ron Chazier, who's an all-pro linebacker, and, you know, one, one little technique issue wrong, and, and the guy's barely able to walk right now. So I, I just, I, I love the rule that they have um, these kids are paid to go to school throughout the summer. So a lot of them are graduating in almost three years anyway. So they're almost getting their degree by the time they get out. I think it's a great role and it shouldn't change the football.
1: And I saw the craziest stat. I think it was the final count of early entrance last year. were 112, I believe. So on top of that stat, so many kids even early, obviously all, not all of those are traditional juniors who haven't graduated. Some of them are retro juniors. But just to put into perspective, out of those 100 or so players that entered the draft, 35 went undrafted. So why why are they why are they mortgaging their future? What what if what if they don't make it? It's it's a it's a hard thing to make. So why are you putting all your eggs in that basket when you have one more year to do it? You have one more year to cement, a, and you have a free education. It's not like you're struggling to get by as far as paying for school. You know, most people have student loans that they're paying back. Those kids have access to a free education. Take it while you can.
3: I agree with that. I mean, I think the three-year rule is perfect, like you guys said. I mean, I could see them shortening it maybe to two years eventually down the line. But I don't really think they should. I just think it may be pressure. You know, let's face it. Everybody gets pressure from the agents. The college college game gets pressure from the agents. The pro game gets pressure from the agents. And they're all lawyers, so they kind of make the rules and go by – like kind of like coaches that, that jump ship all the time. It's kind of mm-hmm. like the same analogy. I mean, they only care about money in the end. And that's, you know, so they're in these kids' ears telling them how great you're gonna be no, you're gonna be a top three three round pick. And then the guy's sitting there and he's he's either a fifth or a sixth round pick, and then he's either or he's not drafted. And it's like, Why did you leave school? If you'd have waited one more year, you would have solidified that pick you should have been. Or again, just go there and get the degree. Why not? That's what you're there for, really, right?
2: I mean, we could really only say Marcus Lattimore might be the only, the only college football player I could think of that it hurt him to stay one extra year, and I mean that's one out of thousands, and and Lattimore had a good insurance policy, um, but um, so I, you know, I, I just see, just see
1: the, the risk just out outweighing the reward here, and these kids have also the, they have the. The, the means to they have a they have an NFL committee that can tell them they submit their their uh, paperwork to the NFL and then the NFL committee sends it back and tells them if you're going to be a first or second round pick or you should go back to school and a lot of these kids get the uh, go back to school but like Ray said they get the the you know the agent that's making money off of them in their ear telling them like there's no way you're not going to get drafted in the top two rounds so again you have to use you have to use what you have you have to use you have to use the ability to understand that the average NFL career lasts about, I think, three and a half years or so. So, you know, cash in with your free education while you can.
3: The NFL is not going anywhere. If you're a good college player and you're playing at a good big time program, you're getting the best medical attention you can anyway. So just play the season and don't worry about it and we'll let the cards fall where they you. you know, that's that's always the best way. Work hard, and you'll benefit from them. And you know what? Once you're in college football, it's easier to get that job broadcasting college football or covering college football. Why not? Mm-hmm. Tim people is going to have a career the rest of his life, no matter if he ever puts a uniform on again or not. Yeah. Well, I would say – I guess the biggest thing is why would you
1: hold a person back from from making money early on when, like we said, we're playing a physical game that you may only play a few years, so why not cash in with a few million dollars while you have the ability to still produce at that level? so
3: The one position I will say that I would, even if I were a running back, I may think about coming out as early as I possibly can and maybe not carrying the ball as much as these coaches want me to. Yeah. Look at the way Emmitt Smith carried the ball about, like 14 to 15 times, except for his senior year, he carried a little bit more. That's yeah. why he left early. But he was smart. He didn't get beat up in college. I had a great career yeah we said that basketball players is a, is an easier transition and it is a little bit easier because if you're a jump shooter you can score in any league but really the only guys that succeed there are the, the freakest the lebron james the great of the great the kobe Bryant. there's a bunch of other guys that don't make it there either yeah well i mean
1: college and at any sport any level college will help you become a better
3: player so absolutely that's, You're getting the best coaching, the best trainers, the best of everything until you get to to the big time. Then they're a little bit better. Like college, you know, doctors, trainers are the best in the world, except for if you go to the NFL or the NBA. Right. So every week, one thing that I love
1: to do, well, maybe not every week, but since we're getting closer to the season, it's kind of a dead period. I think that we should talk some Heisman front runners early on. Okay, so let's start with Alan Allen. If you could if you could if you were a betting man okay and you had to put your money on someone to win the Heisman this upcoming season for the 2019-2020 season who would you pick Well usually with the Heisman trophy you've got
2: to be on a successful team I I personally do not think that that Georgia is going to be successful this year as they were last year they lost a lot in the draft and I was going to say Jake Fromm I think they're going to struggle more losing those backs and, and those offensive linemen than what they think. I'm going to go Nick Boza, defensive lineman, Ohio state. I'm going to, I'm going to say first time since 1999, we have a defensive player when the Heisman got a lot of hype around him. His brother did him a great favor, but being a great player above him, Nick Bozo, Ohio state. I like it. I like it a lot. I
1: mean, I, I'm a Notre Dame fan, so I, I personally – I remember the year. It was 2012. Monty Tao took second. I was like, come on, man. Let's get into the defense. Let's do it.
3: Let's do it. I love it. Ray, who, who would you pick? You know, I have um I have like three different guys, but I like two guys specifically. I have um Bryce Love from Stanford, running back, and um Jonathan Taylor, the running back from Wisconsin. And I also like DeAndre Swift. I think that even though he didn't have the numbers because he was a third – third running back on a very good team last year. I think we'll get a lot of the bulk carries and I think he'll be a guy that that who, who will be right there in the end. Right. So I would say that for me personally, Khalil Tate,
1: most dynamic quarterback in college football possibly. Plays for Arizona, 6'2, 215. He has a very underrated release, good solid arm. But the thing that he separates himself is he's an athlete at the quarterback position. He was unstoppable down the stretch when they made the full change from him for Brandon Dawkins. He played great. He, you know, put up gaudy numbers statistically. And you know, I wasn't going to do this, but since Allen threw a defensive player in there, I got it too. Ed Oliver, best player in college football, University of Houston. Dude is nuts. I, I, if anybody hasn't seen that video that went viral of him doing doing pass drops and coverage drills, I. You need to go take a look. because this kid is a freak at six two, about two ninety five? I I think that he could even play. You know, he could. He might be that guy that you're just like, oh, short yardage. Put him at fullback, give him a touchdown here and there. So that's my guy, Ed Oliver. If I had to go defense.
2: And one more name not to forget: Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray
1: from Oklahoma,
2: quarterback. this year, transferred in from uh, Texas A and M. I broke down some of Oklahoma's games this year, and let me tell you, there's guys running all over the
3: field wide open uh, every other play. Calvin Murray, Oklahoma. You know, it's funny, you mentioned Kelly Tate, right? I had him as my um, my sleeper to win the Heisman this year. Okay. Because I think he could win the Heisman, but like you said, he's a you know, great quarterback, very good athlete. I think that he could win the Heisman too, but he was my sleeper. I really think that one of these running backs will one up winning in the end. I think, I think that a quarterback is going to
1: rise to the top though. Cause I actually did a, stati- I saw a statistic that 13 of the last 15 Heisman trophy winners have been quarterbacks. So that being said, you know, it's, it's usually the guy, you know, everyone talks about the quarterback position first and foremost. So I think someone's going to get pushed to the top. Could be Khalil Tate, you know, it could be one of the other quarterbacks that we already mentioned in our draft segment. Who knows? I, I think that it's hard for a running back to be on the in the spotlight as much as it is for a quarterback. So I think quarterbacks always the safe bet as far as as far as Heisman odds. The exciting part is that for this Heisman race that I mean, early on, obviously, the season's not even close to being here yet. But for this Heisman race right now, it's so wide open. Usually you have a guy that's a front runner next year, like when Marcus Mariota came back or somebody like that, some guy that you're just like, that's got to be one of the guys at the end of the season. I think even people said that maybe about Baker Mayfield before the season, that he was a potential guy. Maybe Lamar repeats somebody like that. But with the quarterback room, like we talked about with the draft segment being so wide open, I think that there's so many different possibilities. And, then, you're, and you're, then you throw in a guy like uh, Ray said with, with Bryce Love from
3: Stanford. The guy just ran for 2,000 yards and he's back for a senior year. So – really probably would have won it
0: last year We didn't get hurt a little bit down the stretch Awesome, so this will conclude our very first episode of the RPO Football Podcast. Thank you for joining us and please join us again next week where we'll be diving into more college football topics. This is your host Patricia Ray, Alan and Ryan representing the Inside the Hashes Network Feel free to follow us on Instagram Facebook and Twitter at Inside the Hashes and have a wonderful evening